Hello, everybody. I'm Paul Menzel. And I'm Jim Conlon. And we're the Old Dogs. If you've got about 20 minutes, grab a cup of coffee, pull up a chair, and join us. In this episode, the Old Dogs ramble about the little things that make life worth living. We wonder if some private yachts might actually be too big. We play another round of I Saw It on the Boob Tube. We visit a book club that took 28 years to read Finnegan's Wake. We celebrate the idea of the Golden Bachelor. And we promote the use of old words we think should make a comeback. The Old Dog's conversation is with Susan Lieberman, a person who has discovered that in the limitations of being old, there is opportunity. Stay with us. Hello there, Paul. Hello there, Jim. What bright thing is on your mind today? Well, in this episode of our podcast, uh, we did a piece about uh, keys to longevity. Mm -hmm. It was seven different keys that will help you have a longer and happier life. And you know what? Going through that occurred to me, it doesn't cover everything, does it? Oh. I mean, I, I have a bunch of ideas myself how to make uh, life more livable. Uh, am I uh, asking too much to get you to tell me what they are? Well, I'll share one with you, and I'm sure you can come up with your own. Okay. For example, in all the things they talked about, they never once talked about the smell of fresh-baked cookies. Huh. My goodness, what a thing to generate positive feelings, Right. Right. Chocolate chip, I would prefer. Maybe oh, chocolate yeah. chip walnut, but um seems to me that should have been one of the seven. You got any? Oh, sure, sure. Uh Well, you know, I'm a musician, and I think that any time I feel like breaking into song, not that I would do it in public, but I think singing is a big part of it. Making music, playing my piano, playing my clarinet, I find that this is something that probably extends my life another year every time I sit down. Oh, yeah. Sometime I'd like to hear you play your clarinet and sing at the same time. Mm, I've done it. We'll get there. Also, naps. Naps wasn't on the list. Come on. What could be greater and more refreshing than a nice afternoon nap? I ask you. You got let's, another one? Yeah, let's see. What else? Um, I had the opportunity to just sit and find a peaceful moment now and then, uh, especially if I have a lovely view to look at. I, I look at my backyard out our uh, living room window, and I find that to be peaceful and not do anything else. And I think that it centers me quite well for the day. Okay. Sitting, doing nothing, staring straight ahead. You know, those <laughs> things can get you institutionalized, Jim. I should warn you. Uh, I, I got another good one, too. Ice cream cones with two different flavors of ice cream, mm. one piled on the other. Okay. Uh, you know, that's, Which flavors? Uh, well, one would have to be a variation on chocolate, mm. and, and the other would have to be something contrasting, maybe even as simple as vanilla. Obviously, I've thought about this a lot. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. For me, yes, it would be chocolate, but the other flavor would definitely be orange sherbet. Oh, okay. You would mix sherbet and ice cream? Oh, yes. yes. Aren't there some rules against that? Uh, not in my world. Uh, okay. You got something else? Yeah. I love reading. I do it every day. Uh, and the more I do it, uh, the better I feel. The, older, the younger I feel. 
I love reading, although I think there should be some laws against books that are over 500 pages long. Yeah, I'm not tempted to read Moby Dick anymore. Okay, well, then probably most people shouldn't be. I got one more, okay? <laughs> All right. A cheap but good restaurant. All right. Uh, I think finding a good burger place, for example, a good pizza joint, put those together. And I, I tell it. you one final thought, and I think we agree on this one. Any contact at all with the grandkids, right? Oh, yeah. Not to exceed two days. <laughs> this note from the New York Times about the wealthy challenged by their possessions. In this case, the billionaire that's challenged is Jeff Bezos, and the possession is his 400-foot yacht named Koru. In case you miss it, that's longer than a football field. The yacht is so big that he can't dock it with the other private yachts in Port Everglades, Florida, where it's anchored. So he's forced to keep company with huge oil tankers and cargo ships that are more his size. It must be humiliating to pay $500 million for your new sailing yacht, only to find yourself docked near a 610-foot oil tanker named Magnolia State. <laughs> There's just not a lot to say to working sailors when you're worth $171 billion. Well, take heart, Mr. Bezos. I am sure you can find a berth for your huge yacht among other billionaires. After all, they say nothing succeeds like excess. The TV show featured in this installment of I Saw It on the Boob Tube is one of the four similar detective shows on the ABC television network. The difference in the shows was the exotic location that was a backdrop for the action. Although, of course, all the shows were shot on the Warner Brothers' back lot in Burbank, not on location. But the setting for this particular show was the Hawaiian Village Hotel in Honolulu. To become our trivia winner. Name the show, and as many stars as you can recall. For extra credit, what event took place that helped the show become popular? We'll be back with the answers later in the podcast. Just when you thought you had enough of the old dogs in our podcast, we found new ways to insert ourselves into your lives. We've got a YouTube channel that features extended versions of the rambles that start each episode of our podcast. It's shameless and perhaps a bit corny, but that's who we are. So go to YouTube and in the search feature, enter the Old Dogs Podcast, colon, New Tricks for Old Dogs. And we should come up first or second in your search. Check it out and let us know your opinion. And we've also formed a Facebook group. It's called New Tricks for Old Dogs, a forum for sassy seniors. This is meant to be a discussion group for folks our age. Make it funny, make it serious, or somewhere in between. We would enjoy your company and your thoughts. Finnegan's Wake by James Joyce is a novel often referred to but seldom read. It is a dense and difficult book. But the New York Times reports that a book club in Venice, California finished reading the book as a group. But the reading took 28 years to finish the process. More than two dozen people participated over that time, with some leaving for periods of time before returning. Now that they've finished the book, what does the group plan to do? 
Well, start over from page one. I Why guess, not? <laughs> I guess they're afraid that they might have missed something the first time. We'll report the results in another 28 years. Congratulations for collectively howling at the moon. Last November, we saw the finale of a Bachelor spinoff called The Golden Bachelor. What was unique about the show is that the bachelor in question was 72, and the woman he proposed to was 70. Jerry Turner, the bachelor, said he applied to the project to show viewers that people my age still have hope and they still lead vigorous lives. Teresa Nist, the bachelorette he chose, added, I feel that for us, life isn't over. The best is yet to come. And you know, viewers seem to agree. The eight episodes before the finale drew the largest audience for the franchise since 2021. Now, if advertisers are smart, they may start supporting media projects that feature folks our age. Yeah, it's a great idea. Any ideas? Uh, well, I was thinking about a series called Couch Potatoes. Oh, wonderful. Tune in each week to see if we have changed our position <laughs> on the couch. What do you think? <laughs> Perfect. Oh. Okay, here are the answers for I Saw It on the Boob Tube. You can quit thumbing through your vintage issues of TV Guide. The name of the show was Hawaiian Eye. The stars included Robert Conrad, Connie Stevens, Ponce Ponce, Grant Williams, and the ever-youthful Troy Donahue. The event that helped popularize the show was the admission of Hawaii as our 50th state in 1959 and the advent of mass tourism to the islands. You know, it may be impossible to stay current with slang from younger generations, but we could resurrect old slang that has fallen out of use. Thanks to DictionaryScoop.com, we offer the following words to slip back into your conversation. A jalopy is a dilapidated and outdated car. It's not pre-owned or used. It's a jalopy, like the Prius that I proudly drive. <laughs> Remember galoshes? It's rather unusual to see people actually wearing the rubber overshoes during a rainstorm, but doggone, the word is fun to say. It's worth wearing them just to use the word. Baloney is a kinder and gentler replacement for bull excrement, uh, but it carries the same meaning. And with a little mustard makes a decent sandwich. <laughs> Fiddlesticks is a nice word for annoyance or disappointment. It replaces much stronger terms that would not get a G rating. A whippersnapper is a young and usually impudent person whose boldness exceeds his age. It's another word that's fun to say out loud, isn't it? Yep. And finally, hotsy totsy is something fashionable and trendy. The phrase is a throwback to the 20s, but it's quite serviceable today, isn't it? So try to work those six words into your vocabulary and see if you can get the same puzzled look from your grandkids that you have when they say to you... Hey, Grandpa, this meal slaps. It hits different. <laughs> well, I think it's a doozy. Well, aren't you petulant? Yes. Oh, petulant. That's a good <laughs> word. <laughs> Dr. Susan Lieberman has lived in nine cities, written eight books, directed four educational programs, earned three graduate degrees, raised two sons, and thinks one day she may perhaps acquire a partridge in a pear tree. Susan has dedicated her life to improving the lives of others, and turning 80 hasn't changed that focus. 
Susan's newest book gives a fresh perspective on not growing old, but immigrating to the country of old. Susan, I'd like to welcome you to the Old Dogs podcast. It's really great to have you here. And especially since you've just released a new book uh, that uh, is of particular interest to old dogs like us. <laughs> and uh, it, it happens to be called In the Country of Old, Nine Reflections from a New Immigrant. And I'm fascinated by the idea of immigrating to a new country and having that clear perspective that this is something new uh, with a sense of exploration and wonder and anticipation about it. Could you tell us how you formed that kind of refreshing philosophy? You know, it wasn't easy. I, I think as with real immigration, deciding to leave the old country and go to a new one is challenging. In this case, I didn't really decide. You know, I just found I was transported there. But for several years before I wrote this book, I had been struggling with who am I, where am I, what do I want, what are my goals, am I relevant? You know, I, I think so many of us after retirement find ourselves in this place. And in fact, I had written what I thought hoped was going to be a book of 27,000 words. And when I got all done, I went, nah, I just don't think this is clear enough, good enough but it helped me figure out the issues I was grappling with. And Michael was, my husband was wonderful. He kept saying, there's something here. Don't give it up. Keep going. And one day I just sat down at my computer and I said, I get it. In the nimbus of turning 80, I've moved from one country to another. I've been hanging on to living in the country of middle age, young age, and I'm not there anymore. I'm in a new country. And since I'm lucky enough to be old and not dead, I don't want to go into old age kicking and screaming because that's like feels like a crappy way to live. Um, and yet, I think that is the subtext for much of our culture that you don't, people say, I'll say I'm old and they go, oh, you're not old. You know, you're only as old as you feel. I go, I feel old. I don't feel young. I don't feel middle-aged. I feel cute. I feel sexy. I feel smart. I feel old. <laughs> well, you're very lucky that they let you into the country. Uh, Jim and I were turned back at the border. Uh, Passport well, issues. I'm not sure who's lucky. <laughs> uh, you have written a lot of books. I have. And uh, the topics are very far-ranging. I'm kind of curious. You, you've written a lot of books that address young people and several books that have addressed getting older. That's a curious mix. What, how did that come about? That's a, that's a good question. Uh, this isn't true for all of the books. In a couple cases, I collaborated with other people on their research, but I think I write the books I need to read. I write the things that I'm struggling with and I'm curious about. So the first book I wrote was on new family traditions because I was the mother of young children. We moved to a city where we had no family. I wanted to give my children technicolor memories, and yet I didn't know how to do it. You know, I'd make a, we're Jewish, so I'd make a Jewish high holiday dinner with gefilte fish, and my kids would look at it and go, ah, what's that? <laughs> so I, I sort of began exploring how do we do it, and I realized the task was to get the, the thrust of the tradition, the meaning of the tradition, but reweave it in a way that made sense for our lives now. And then when my kids were young, you know, and I was working, I was struggling with 
how do I spend quality time with them? And I, I worked with somebody else on her research, uh, the Kid Fun Activity book. And, well, and then I became a mother-in-law. And I will tell you, I always assumed that when my sons found the women that they were going to marry, I would like them. And that those women would consider me the bonus. So the first one worked out fine. The second one didn't think I was a bonus. And I really struggled with that. And out of that book came the mother-in-law manual. I had to figure out how to make this work for her, for me, for our, my son. I wrote a book called Death, Dying, and Dessert. It actually was set, came out of when I lived in Houston. I was part of a women's group that met every month. And one of the women in the group, a good friend, and I were going through the same thing with our parents at the same time. My mother was in hospice. Her father was in hospice. And we'd meet every couple of weeks over sushi. And we'd have the same stupid conversation. Conversation was, oh, if I had known then what I know now, I wouldn't have made that decision. I would make this decision. And after doing this, I went, I, I don't want to do this when I'm old and dying. This is, this is a dumb way to go. So I asked some of the women in this group that I met with every month, would you like to come to dinner and talk about death and dying? Most of them looked at me like, no, not really. <laughs> but four of us showed up. And what do you make when you're serving dinner and talking about death and dying? Angel food cake. So <laughs> we decided the conversation was good. We met again. We had six or seven women. We had devil's food cake. And one of my smart-ass friends said, we should keep going and call this group Death, Dying, and Dessert. And we met for four years. And out of those conversations was this book about death and dying. So that was something I really needed to know for myself. Um, and I needed to learn how to be old. So, so in, in, a sense, in a sense, you've been a reporter of the changes you have gone through. That's very good. Hmm. That's a very good way to sum it up. Or an explorer. I think that just some of the issues that you described right at the start of this conversation are issues that most of us face, especially the idea that we are getting old and it's a bad thing rather than seeing this as a new opportunity with fresh possibilities. Uh, in particular, the fact that we have been one thing for so long, and now we are another thing, and we have to recognize that. Jim, that's a really key point. It was took a long time for me to realize that the standards and attitudes and ways I measured my life didn't work in this new stage that I couldn't be who I thought I was. You know, this book is not for people who are just retiring. Um, although I, I have had people read it and say, no, I liked it. I got something out of it too. But I think, well, for me, something happened around 80 that was like a switch. It was just different. I suddenly was in a different place. And, you know, my husband is a year older than I. And around his 80th birthday, he started using language that bothered me. It was sort of, Michael, what's with this old talk? What are you, you're tired? What? And I made fun of him. And then I woke, literally woke up one day and said, I get it. Mm. I'm there. So this is crazy, but I've always had this theory that we were born with these little capsules in our head and that long about 40, the capsule of mortality goes off and mm. suddenly we realize that we're not immortal. We are going to die. And somewhere around 65, the finality of mortality hits you, and you realize not only is it possible that you'll die, you will die. 
And now there's this 80-year-old or so capsule that goes off and says, new game, new plan, new space, how are you going to cope? And it, it's not all wonderful. There are, there are challenges. There are difficulties. But weren't there challenges and difficulties when we were 20 and when we were 40? It's true. It's easier to be in the country of old if you're healthy, but it's easier to be in the country of middle age when you're healthy too. Mm-hmm. Uh, and certainly we are more open to decline and deterioration as we age because my my granddaughter was once with me in the bathroom and she said, I was getting dressed and she said something about my body. And I said, Aviva, it's used. It's very used. Mm-hmm. And it shows its use. You know, I, I am... I think I'm a good writer. I am a really terrible marketer. I just don't do it. So there was no marketing campaign for this book. I wrote it. I put it up on Amazon and I sent emails to 20 friends. That was the entire marketing strategy. <laughs> so maybe I've sold, I don't know, in three months, 700 books. That hardly qualifies for being a bestseller. But this is my 12th book and I have never gotten as many comments and the quality of comments that this book has elicited. I've probably heard from, I don't know, well over 50 people with the most delicious comments. I'll share you one woman I know from Houston who was an early reader and she wrote, Susan, I have been fighting getting old with tooth and nail. I have resisted with every fiber of my being. Since I've read this book, I have relaxed. I am not resisting anymore. I am trying to go gracefully. That was worth like, I don't know, selling 2,000 books. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm. Uh, That was the impression that I got. It was like, and I told my wife this, this is a relief. This is such a relief at my particular age to say it's not just okay, it's what is possible. You're talking about what is possible in a new situation that we have never faced before, and that is being old. You know, up until now we've been getting old, and now we're being old. Um, and and I'll if tell you're you, not old, what are you? What are you? Right, right. Dead. You're dead. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, yeah, take a look. Take a look around you. Notice you can see what you're seeing, whatever it is and however you perceive it. You know, one of the most important ideas that I came across in uh, one of the seminars that I attended uh, quite a while ago was the idea of asking yourself, what now? That whatever happens to you, whether it's good or not, whether it's just a, a different situation, to continue to ask yourself, what now? Rather than, woe is me, or God help me, or whatever, is to say, okay, what now? What what are the possibilities, in other words, uh, as a fresh way of approaching what is happening right now? I love that because it's not about optimism or pessimism. It's no. about what is. Yeah, it's about what is. Yeah. This is the end of the first half of our conversation with Susan Lieberman. We have been discussing Susan's current book, In the Country of Old, available at Amazon in paperback or Kindle. In our next episode, we'll have part two of our conversation. Susan talks about sharing a house with another writer, how to battle loneliness, and some frank talk about assisted suicide, or as she terms it, Swiss finishing school. Like what you've been hearing? How about sharing the joy with your friends? We can always use more listeners. There are more episodes on the way, so stay tuned and keep howling at the moon.